this is going to be really different today. And I know that you are used to hearing me teach um, historical Bible context and uh, character-related issues. And we're not going to do Bible this week. As a matter of fact, if you have children in the room with you, you're going to want to turn this off and um, catch the archive posted on my um, my podcast channel characterincontext.podbean.com um, on Friday. But today we're going to be talking about pornography addiction, and this is part of my testimony. It's a very painful part of my testimony because I um, I became a porn addict when I was just eight years old. And so I think it's important, especially as we're heading into Yom Kippur, this is a big problem. It's probably the biggest problem that the body of Messiah is facing today, and we're going to talk about it today. And, uh, yeah, it's not going to be all entirely for kids. Um, that being said, I would, I would not have any problem with my middle schooler or teenage kids having listened to this, and, and they did. I, um, I was very upfront with my kids because I didn't want them to be involved with this. It's my biggest nightmare to think that this is something that could uh, affect them in any way. So, um, anyway, you have been warned. And <clears throat> My name is Tyler Don Rosenquist, and this is Character in Context. And this is not business as usual. Like I said, Yom Kippur is coming up, and it's the time of repentance. But we've got a problem when it comes to pornography, because most of the repentance out there, I'm going to say 98% at least, is fake repentance. It's false repentance. And I know. I know this personally. I know because, um, you know, I've been there, and I've ministered to men and women for... 20 years now, who are trying to um, to let it go and to give it up, and uh, the ones that are successful and the ones that aren't successful, well, it really comes down to, you know, one thing. Are they willing to never feel those feelings again that they get from porn? The ones who decide to live without those feelings are the ones who are successful. They don't go back. The ones that are not willing to live without those feelings, they'll never be successful. And uh doesn't matter how much they cry and how much they feel guilty because, uh you know, the truth is that addicts are selfish people. And again, I am speaking from experience here. Addicts are selfish people. That's how we become addicts. We, um, we're very, very focused on not feeling pain or on feeling pleasure or on not being bored or on being entertained. And they're all very closely intertwined. But really, when it comes down to it, we want something that we don't need. We like how it makes us feel and it slowly or quickly takes over our lives until we do not want to live without it, and we are not willing to live without it. And our excuses 
get more and more, and so does our uh, enslavement to it. But it's all a personal choice. Anyway, but uh, we'll get to that more. God, uh, you know, we were made in God's image. You know that. But a lot of people don't know what that means. We were, we were called to reflect his character on this earth by being loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, generous, good, trustworthy, gentle, humble, meek, and self-controlled. That isn't just Paul. That's the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, the, the sermon that Yeshua, or you may call him Jesus, gives that people say, oh, well, those are unlivable and unattainable. Well, you know what? No, they're not. Because, you know, I get closer to them every year. You know, I'm not there, but I get closer. And that means that they are not pie in the sky. It's just that we don't want to be those people. Because it costs. We're called to pray for, forgive, and bless our enemies. You know, living lives dedicated to non-retaliation. That's who we were designed to be. In the garden, you know, Adam and Eve, they pursued knowledge on their own terms and took on the image of the beast they allied themselves with against God. And they became crafty as serpents, blame shifters, full of excuses, finger pointing. After the flood, mankind learned to deal with the horrors of the aftermath of destruction and death through drunkenness. Oh, you didn't think I was going to pick on Noah, did you? Yeah. That's why I think he was drinking. It's be hard to resist. You know, and drunkenness is a condition which, which strips people of their nobility and dignity and strips children of being able to trust their parents to be around, to be sober, to be there when needed. At Sinai, we learn to trust and take comfort in the works of our own hands. You know, becoming as stiff-necked and rebellious as that calf we worshipped. And on and on and on. Our lives in Messiah, and, and this is the reason he came and inaugurated the new exodus out of sin and death at the cross. Our lives in Messiah are all about denying and fighting that beast nature. The mark of the beast that is in us. All of us. We want to think it's a microchip, because that would be so much easier than taking a hard look in the mirror and seeing that it's a character issue that separates us from choosing to bear God's image. And today I want to talk about my testimony about, you know, pornography, porn use, and addiction, and, and how it turns us into imagers of the beast and destroys our ability to bear God's image. So, first of all, about myself, I became obsessed with pornography at the age of eight. In the 1970s, when there was no porn anywhere in my house. 
Um, my father worked in the Quebec wilderness in uh, Canada at a mining camp. And the guys that worked there were a pretty gnarly bunch, let me tell you. You know, old, grizzled miner guys who lived there for months out of the year and go home and then, and then come back. And they weren't used to having little kids around. And so we went up as a vacation because this place was pretty cool. It really was. But the mess hall was, you know, littered, literally, with pornography. And uh, we stayed in the bunkhouse this one time. And I remember the day that I remember the image. I'm 51 years old, and I remember exactly what it looked like when I was eight. And this one guy, I could see into his room, and he had a calendar of a woman in a very lewd pose. And you know what? That was it for me. And I hadn't been molested. I didn't know anything about sex. I couldn't tell you why that image burned itself into my brain, apart from the fact that demons are real. And, um... After that, when we went home, and I would draw, I would draw out that image obsessively in my room when I was alone. Again, we had no porn in the house. And over the years, I, I just, I made more and more decisions. I, I, I'll tell you something, when I started, um, babysitting, that, that was a big problem because I, and this was in the early 80s, I couldn't find a house that I was babysitting in that didn't have pornography. Seriously. Like, on the back of a toilet. You know, they've got, they've got a magazine. Or, um, and when you're a porn addict, you can use anything. Uh, the one place that I babysat for the most that was next door, they had birthing pictures out in a, um, in a folder on the coffee table where you could see there she was and um, doing the birth, and I'm sure they thought it was very beautiful, but to a 12-year-old, that's pornography. Seeing, you know, uh, another woman like that. And the thing is, it was always women that I saw. I didn't see a picture of a naked man until I was, oh my gosh, maybe 16, 17? Didn't matter. And, uh, you know, sometimes I could, when I was babysitting or something, I could, uh, when the kids were asleep, I could find something on HBO, um, Porky's or something, and, and that just fed it with me. But by the time I was in my late teens, I was, uh, teens, I was, I was not a Christian either. And I was just, um, my, my desire for porn was getting more and more, and the stuff that was just mild wasn't really doing it for me. This was before internet, of course. Um, and you know, it's, it's just a hunger that increases, and it, it, it's never really sated. And so I stayed that way for, uh, 21 years. From the time I was 8 years old to the time I was 29. When I got saved, January of 19, 99. And I remember the day, I don't, I couldn't tell you the date that I got saved, which is weird because it's almost like that wasn't the biggest thing that happened to me. 
the biggest thing that happened to me was all of a sudden one that day, or maybe it was a few days later, I don't know, but I realized that pornography was wrong. I didn't know why. Because I had never thought there was anything wrong with it. I thought other people were just uptight. Um, but all of a sudden, I, I just knew it was wrong. And so I took my husband and my very, very large stash of just everything you could, well, not everything you could possibly imagine. I, I hope you can't imagine much, you know, but some pretty horrific stuff. And I burned it in a big bonfire in my backyard. And my husband came home and he's like, what happened? And I, and I just looked at him and he knew I was a new Christian. He was not. And he just he never brought it up again. <laughs> and I shouldn't laugh, but it's, it's, oh gosh, nervous energy, I guess. But, uh, I never looked at pornography willingly again. I mean, sometimes, you know, it's like somebody, you see something and it's like, oh my gosh, get rid of it. I, I became so adverse to pornography, I couldn't even watch movies or television shows with anything more than light kissing. I mean, that is how, you know, how much God turned me around, but that wasn't the end of it. For the next, what, three or four years? Four years. No, three years, because the boys were one and a half. Um, I was tormented night and day. 24-7-365. Well, not that bad, but I mean, it could happen anytime with thoughts. Because all those images you put in your mind, the pictures in the movies, and the stuff you read, and just everything, it's in there. And it doesn't just disappear because you stop looking at it. It doesn't stop, the storage doesn't automatically empty just because you stop adding to the storage. Okay, you got a hard drive on your computer, and it's loaded with pictures, but the files, you know, you don't have admin access, okay? And you can't delete all those pictures, and it's like they're in a screensaver that you set up back when you knew the password, and all of a sudden, oh, here it comes, and it's hard to get rid of, it's hard to, they're there. It's consequence. And that's something a lot of people don't understand is when you come to Messiah, well, you know, we repent. Sometimes we, we stop living the way we were living. The consequences live on. An alcoholic who um, drives their family away and hurts them over a decade, well, he gets saved and he stops drinking. It doesn't mean he gets them back because they're hurt. There's damage. And with the porn... Um, the damage was done to my mind, and uh, you know I consider it to be one of the many marks of the beast because it did mark me. You couldn't see it on the outside. You couldn't see it from my behavior. My behavior would never show you that that was the horrible kinds of things, the consequences that I was continuing to have to live with. But um, fortunately. You know, God really blessed me, and um, after not looking at this stuff for three and a half years, um, 
I was getting baptized in the Snake River. He'd been pestering me about it. The Presbyterians wouldn't baptize me because I'd been baptized Presbyterian at birth. But then um, God had me move to a Southern Baptist church. And he was like going, get baptized, get baptized. So the first chance I got, my husband and I were both, and by this time he was a Christian. He'd given up the porn too. Not like he could get in, you know, pass me into the house. <laughs> um, or at least he never tried anyway. That's good. But we got baptized, and we came up out of the water, and we're in the car. And Mark says, something's different. I said, I know, but I don't know what it is. And a couple weeks later, I realized that I had not had a single obsessive porn thought in all that time. And I could sleep again, and I was, oh, the peace was amazing. And I told Mark, he says, that's it. It's the same thing with me. I don't have these thoughts anymore. And so that was wonderful. That was really wonderful. You know, it doesn't happen to everyone. Because our brains are damaged. And pornography has still damaged my brain. Um, we don't take it as seriously as we should. We don't take it as seriously as, as God takes it. And I'll tell you why God takes pornography seriously. Yeshua speaks throughout the Gospels about the weightier matters of the law, the weightier matters of the Torah, justice and righteousness and mercy and compassion. When he talks about the parable of the sheep and the goats, he has the people who took care of the vulnerable and the people who did not take care of the vulnerable. But you know what? Beyond the sheep and the goats, there are also beasts. And the beasts don't take care of the vulnerable. They don't neglect the vulnerable. They oppress the vulnerable. And I'm going to tell you today that like me, if you are a pornography user, then you are an oppressor of the vulnerable and you are a beast. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Because you know what? Addicts, we are so overly sensitive and into ourselves and seeking to be comfortable all the time. We don't want to hear the truth. We don't want to hear that we are monsters in this area of our lives. We want to believe that these people doing the porn, that they're having the time of their lives, that they grew up in healthy homes, that they just, they just really like sex and they 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 always wanted to pose and they they always wanted to do these movies and they wanted to do this and they and they wanted to do that and the prostitutes it's their choice i was about to swear on the radio and maybe i should have but it's a lie it's a lie that we tell ourselves so that we can enjoy the victimization humiliation humiliation debasement, victimization of others without feeling guilty because we porn addicts, oh man, we're all about not feeling guilty. Because that's the worst thing about pornography, isn't it? It's really the only downside. Because we love that high. We love the feeling that we can't get through legitimate means. It's no different than drug users. We can't have that high living life as God's image bearers, just doing things straight. No. No. 
We want that feeling. And so the things that we will tell ourselves to make it okay, that's all about us. And that's why repentance is 98%, 99 more percent false with us. Because the reason, oh God, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, but I need to do this. And, you know, and have come across so many people say, yeah, that's me. Because we don't like to feel bad. That's why you're addicts in the first place. Because we can't cope with feeling bad. We can't cope with being bored or lonely or sad. And so we drink or we do drugs or we do porn or we do, we binge watch TV or, or all the other things we do to keep from dealing with life and getting through it and allowing God to Heal us. And it's disgusting that we do this. And it's disgusting that our repentance is just another drug. It's just a way of momentarily feeling better about ourselves so we can feel good again. Oh, I repented. Ah, that feels so good. And I have people who come to me for deliverance from, you know, demons of lust and addiction and it would go through it and they're freed and they're feeling such incredible joy and, and they're back a month later. Because you know what? They really loved that feeling. It just became another high for them. But they, they thought, well, now that I'm free of that demon, I can go back and I can have the porn and I'll just be careful this time. I won't get so carried away. And you know what? They come back to me worse than they ever were before. And, and, you know, I tell them I won't deliver them again. I won't. Because they're not in a position to accept it. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse. They want to feel better. They didn't truly repent. They just didn't want to feel guilty anymore. It's still like the porn in the first place. It's all about them. It's always been all about them, and it always will be all about them until they learn to love and until they learn to just be, until they learn that the things that they want are never worth sacrifice on anyone else's part. You know, it's animals that... uh I mean, and that's the thing. We're acting like animals. And that's why it's called the mark of the beast. When we choose to behave like animals, when we refuse to treat other people like human beings, when we refuse to um, say no to our instincts and our desires and our momentary whatevers, that's that beast nature. And uh, it's always astounding to me that people so often in the body of Messiah, they, um, they'll sit and they'll scream about homosexuality. Scream about it. But you know what? Homosexuality is a choice that two people make with open eyes that doesn't necessarily harm anyone else except for themselves. All right? 
Porn is not victimless. There's nothing about pornography that's victimless. I just like to think it is. Because those people aren't real. Not to us. And that has to change. Coming up on the first half hour here, and, um... The next half's gonna be worse. And I'm gonna take off the kid gloves. And we're really going to talk about what pornography is actually doing and what we're doing when we use it and when we make excuses for it. All right. Be back in a few. So welcome back to uh, this week's episode of Character in Context, where we're not talking about the Bible at all. We are entirely talking about pornography addiction and pornography use. And so, you know, I, I'm going to tell you something, and, 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 you know, kids probably shouldn't be, and the teens it's okay, because it's not like it's going to get really, you know. Not going to talk about anything that's going to set somebody off because I don't like to talk about that stuff. But, uh, I talk about pornography addiction, but I kind of hate the term because whenever you slap addiction on something, people say, oh, it's a disease. It's like, you know what? When you went out and got something and then rolled in it and it got worse and worse and worse and worse, that's not a disease. Okay, and I'll tell you something. It's an insult when you've grown up with a with a parent who's an addict to whatever, and uh, people say, "Oh, well, it's a disease." It's like, no, you may be diseased because you made choices, but it's like I, I hate it. I never gave myself that kind of slack. Never used that excuse. Because it, it's, it's offensive to me. It's offensive to me. You go off and you, you roll in the mud. And you have your pleasure. And you enjoy it. And everyone else just can go to you know where. And because you want to have what you want to have. And then you call it a disease. Once you've decided it's killing you or you don't want it anymore or whatever. No. You know, and that's one of the reasons why people don't get better. Because it's just more enabling that we do. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? The porn damaged my brain. I damaged my brain. I take respons- You know what? You know, I, I don't take responsibility for the initial contact and the things that I did when I was just defenseless and a child and not really understanding and but there got to a point where I started making decisions that I knew were wrong but the more I made them the less wrong it became and uh, anyway so you know when I was a porn user 
and then a porn addict, addicted because of my own choices, you know, for those 21 years. And it's been 21 years now since then. So I went the first eight years without it, then the next 21 with it, and now I've been free for 21, right? So this was beginning at age eight and continuing until the day in uh, 1999 when I got saved. I was 29 years old. You know, I stupidly and naively assumed that the men and women were involved because they were enjoying themselves. You know, they wanted to be there. They were living the dream and they were pursuing happiness in their own way. Very convenient beliefs. You know, little did I know at that point, because they didn't talk about it then, that I was personally complicit in the trafficking, exploitation, torture, and misery of human beings that had very likely been abused as children and probably by family members and were definitely being abused in the industry. Little did I know that their entry into my perverse and selfish form of enjoyment, you know, and, and fulfillment, momentary fulfillment was probably incest and child rape. All I could think about was my next high. And there was nothing, they were nothing to me except tools to be used toward that end. Honestly, you know what? The videotapes and the magazines were far more real to me than the people in them ever were. You know, the day I got saved was the day it ended, and I thank God for that. And it wasn't because they became real to me, though. You know, that's that would take a lot more years of growth and getting over my just self-centered worldview and still not really wanting to look at myself in the mirror for what I had done and what I'd been a part of. You know, I just, I, I gave it up because all of a sudden I knew it was horrifying. I didn't know that God was removing me from the sex trafficking business. You know, and I was an eager, paying customer. If you would have told me that I was personally hurting anyone in those days, <laughs> I would have rolled my eyes and shrugged and maybe even laughed a little bit at your face. All that mattered was the high that I got from the experience. Absolutely nothing else, no one else mattered. And it took so many years to emerge from that mindset and to realize that these people in the magazines and the videos are human beings. Just like the boys and girls and men and women on the streets. Do you know the average age that, that someone enters prostitution in this country? This country, America, is between 12 and 14 years old. Yeah, but we want to say that the women are making their own decisions, don't we? They've been involved in the business since they were. Preteens. 
But yeah, yeah, totally the decision once they're adults. No. But you know, the human beings, every single one with a name, human beings who are slaves, not only to pimps, but the demands of people who just aren't satisfied with watching the videos and looking at the magazines anymore. Or, uh, you know, maybe the Johns were ushered into this life by a male family member as a birthday present when they turned 18. That happens. You know, there's a sizable portion of the population that barely view, view women as human at all. And people on the streets, they don't even see it. You know, it happens more than we would like to believe. And it's all part of not seeing people as human beings with real lives and souls. People whom Yeshua came to save. And if all we see are beasts when we look at them, then we're not seeing them. We're seeing ourselves. Because human beings... Human beings who are image bearers of God should only be able to see other human beings and they should never see animals or less than or sub or anything when looking at another human being. You know, we're allowing, we're destroying these people when we're involved with porn and we're allowing them to be destroyed for a momentary thrill that we won't even experience twice. <sighs> Gotta get a new thrill. Gotta have somebody else hurt. Our Savior commanded us to live above and beyond the commandments and to live sacrificially on behalf of the vulnerable. The poor, the abused, the oppressed, widowed, orphaned, foreigner, etc. And those are the very people who are usually involved in the sex for hire business. Whether it be, you know, first-hand sexual experiences or second-hand through pornography. The exploitation of the vulnerable, it strikes at the very heart of God's Torah, his basic laws on how we are to love one another, and they are not suggestions. But hey, we like to fo focus on homosexuality, right? Because pornography isn't mentioned in the Bible. No, but a whole lot of other stuff is. But people won't give it up because they feel as though they can't live without that high. And it's funny, you know, married people do this. Then they turn around to tell single people to stay celibate. Which they should, of course. <laughs> but the hypocrisy is stunning. Oh, don't you single people go out and have unmarried sex, but I'm going to cheat on my spouse with porn. Don't have homosexual sex, but I'm going to, um, I'm going to look at people, pictures of people who are being degraded and abused, whom Yeshua died for. 
I'm going to act like an animal and treat them like they're nothing. <sighs> you know, they want that high. They don't want to live without it. And so they oppress. If I can admit that I was an oppressor, there's no excuse for anyone else. You cannot, cannot, cannot be an oppressor. A, a, a pornography user unless you are also an oppressor of the vulnerable like I was and if you are an oppressor of the vulnerable then it doesn't mean a damned thing if you keep the other commandments tithe all you want double tithe keep the festivals be nice to everyone eat kosher don't work on the sabbath doesn't matter. You're no different than the residents of Sodom, victimizing the vulnerable and living in ease while others suffer. Telling God you're sorry, knowing full well that it's a sham and that you'll do it again, isn't repentance. It's nothing but a self-centered alleviating of guilt. It's every bit as much a violation of God as your porn use is a victimization of, of the least of these. The least of these. And until you care about something other than your pleasure, you are dead in the water. You're a goat. No, you know what? You're worse than a goat. Because the goats of Matthew 25 merely neglected the vulnerable. While those who are porn users and who pay for them sex, for sex, you know, they're oppressors, they're beasts, monsters. And if you don't care about that, then I just don't know what to say. There's nothing I can say. You need to change. You need to stop cold turkey, and you need to never go back. It's the only way. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a big heads up here. You don't need sex to survive. Or porn. You just want it. No matter who pays the price. You know, and yeah, okay, you know what? Maybe you're listening and maybe you are messed up. But take responsibility. Even if you were victimized as a child and, and entered into it through that avenue, take responsibility and don't victimize another person the way you were victimized. Don't be an oppressor like the ones who oppressed you. Don't pay that kind of evil forward. You don't have to. You are not powerless. You are powerful if you choose to be. If you need counseling, whatever, go and get it. If you need deliverance, go and get it. 
But be very, very sure it's because you finally hate it more than you love the way it makes you feel. You have to start hating that feeling. You have to start realizing that being a slave to that feeling has made it so that you cannot serve the kingdom in spirit and in truth because there's no sin that you can speak against when you're an oppressor. I mean, that should be terrifying. There is no sin that you can speak against when you are oppressing the least of these. There is, there are, there are no good deeds that you can put in your column that will undo oppression. And I'm not even, I haven't even mentioned the fact that pornography use never stays tame. And it isn't about being smart because you know what? With what my IQ is, there aren't many, yeah, there are, there are only a few percentage of people in this world who are smarter than I am didn't do me a bit of good. It's not about being smart. A genius can get sucked into and become enslaved to pornography as easily as somebody who is just struggling to add two plus two because it's not about intelligent. And it's not about superiority or inferiority because there is nobody. God didn't make us to look at this stuff. God didn't create us to be violent and so murder changes us. God didn't create us to be adulterers. God didn't create us to be thieves. God didn't create us to be oppressors. He created us to be everything that he is and I don't say this to fill people with despair because a pity party that's just more addict behavior alright oh I'm just so terrible there's no hope for me no put on your big girl panties and stop what you're doing you can stop you may not want to. You may think you'll die without these feelings, but you won't die without these feelings. You don't need them. They aren't needed. If you needed it, God would give it to you. What did, what did God tell David? When David went up on his roof, looked down, at Bathsheba, you know, from the only place probably in the city where somebody could look down and see somebody on their, somebody, you know, uh, doing their post-menstrual mikvah oat. She was doing her, she was a, she was obeying the law. 
and he saw her, and he sent his guards for her. And he was an ancient Near Eastern king, and she was just a woman. And there was nothing more that she could do to say no to him than... And so he raped her. And then she got pregnant. And he killed her husband when he couldn't cover it up. And when Nathan came to confront him, and then, and then he he took her as his wife. There's no romance involved. He, he took her again. <laughs> and then when God sent Nathan, what did Nathan say? Nathan compared Bathsheba to a kivsah, which is the tiniest little defenseless lamb, completely unable to defend itself. So David, the murderer and the rapist, who uh, probably didn't even think about what he was doing any more than, than, than we think about, than I used to think about looking at pornography and how it was produced and what those people's lives were like. And maybe they were forced into it by an abusive husband or boyfriend or father. And I didn't care about them any more than David cared about Bathsheba or that rich man cared about the lamb he slaughtered. And what did God say to David? Didn't I give you this and didn't I give you that? And if that wasn't enough, wouldn't I have given you much more? But this one thing was forbidden to you. This one human being was forbidden to you and you took her and you violated her and you killed her husband and then you forced her to be your wife. Ever wonder why Bathsheba's son became such a great king and she sat on a throne next to him? Because Yahweh was honoring her. He was repaying for what the locust had eaten. And, and I pray he does that with every single man, woman, and child who is caught up in the sex trafficking industry, the second biggest money-making industry in the world behind drugs. And the United States is responsible for more of that business than any other country. We're the worst. We have the disposable income. We have the depravity. And most kids that are involved in sex trafficking aren't kidnapped. Their own parents have them in it. Their own parents have sold them for drug money. Their own parents have them out on the streets. Their own parents are filming them themselves. And then, yeah, they grow up and they become prostitutes, but yeah, that's totally their decision, right? These are human beings. And I pray that God restores to every single one of them, every single one of them, everything that the locusts have eaten so that people can have a little bit of pleasure.
Anyway, if uh, if you're interested in getting involved in, involved in the fight against sex trafficking, there is a free online course, so you can spot it in your community. www.ourourrescue.org front slash training. And it teaches us how to spot it in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our congregations, and, yeah, in our families, too. Because it's there. It's there. Anyway, uh, that was a hard thing to record. It's something I don't talk about a lot. But I, I have recorded other broadcasts, but it's a lot easier when people are asking me questions. And I don't just have to talk for 50 minutes. But it's important. You know, there are a lot of um, porn addicts out there, porn users, who are out there um, fooling themselves and other people. But don't ever let one tell you they're absolutely not in control. They just have to decide that they love somebody more than they love that high. They've got to decide to be image bearers of God, the God who um, sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for everyone, including the people in those pictures. God bless. <laughs>